shot and a great save by Dane St. Clair. Shot by Matt DeRosa, and it's in! Matt DeRosa puts the Terps up 1-0. Staden coming forward now, he had two last week. He winds up the left-footed shot, it sneaks into the bottom corner. Bin outside the box, a shot with the right foot, and it's in! Paul Bin wins it for the Terps! Now Sadich plays inside the 18, the shot, and a goal for the Terps! Leaves it for Herbe, cutting it back to the middle, and it's in! Paul Bin gets the goal for Maryland. Elney has the room, he shoots it in! Maryland has a 1-0 lead on the goal from the senior, Sebastian Elney. Eli Cronali, the deep free kick, sent into the box now. Herve there, the back post, and it's through the legs and in! Donovan Bynes is claiming it as the 6-5 man does a cartwheel on the far side, doubling Maryland's lead. And that'll do it! Maryland's California dream have become a reality. For the first time in a decade, the Terps are national champions. Ladies and gentlemen, get on your feet and welcome your Ludwig Lowdown, featuring Brendan Hartlove and Tom Hendo. Welcome into the fifth episode of the Ludwig Lowdown, our Maryland men's soccer podcast here on WMUC Sports Radio. I'm Brendan Hartlove, joined in the studio by not Tom Hindle, not Joe Malfa, but Ben Curtis. Both Tom and Joe unavailable. So Ben Curtis, another one of our broadcasters here at WMUC Sports. And Ben, it is so nice to have you on the podcast. Well, it is great to be the third choice, Brendan. <laughs> I am very excited to join the podcast today. Big week this past weekend, Maryland men's soccer with a big win against St. John's and a frustrating loss against Northwestern. Happy to recap it and look ahead to Wisconsin as well. So I'm not going to make you fake a British accent, although I kind of I did think about that. If I was going to have to do this by myself, I thought about kind of maybe like talking normally and then like saying yes Brennan you're right but in like a British accent but nobody wants to hear that so uh, we we have you on and uh, it's great because you've been calling a lot of the games as well for WMUC Sports and you follow the team you're a big soccer guy so um, here on this fifth episode as you said we are going to recap the conference opener last Friday against Northwestern we are going to recap the Monday night game against St. John's uh, we have an interview coming up with Maryland forward Justin Geelan another one of the local guys that uh, is making an impact on the team uh, here in his second season. So we're going to talk with him. We got into a lot of fun stuff like we do with a lot of the guys. Uh, we're going to preview the game at Wisconsin, the Terps' first road game after this four-game homestand. And then we're going to get into our Pro Terps segment with some updates on some of the guys playing at the next level. So we'll begin with the recap of Northwestern. As I said, it was the opening game of conference play last Friday night. Um, there was a lot of expectations for Maryland to come out of that game with a result. Northwestern, not exactly uh, one of the top teams in the nation, not really a team that many people expected Maryland to struggle with. Um, in that starting lineup, it was a little bit uh, different. Russell Shealy got the start after Nicholas Newman picked up that eye injury, which I don't know if you heard I said on the broadcast um, this past week, he showed me pictures on his phone, and it was pretty gruesome uh, when he actually got busted open. I kind of wish I had said no to seeing the pictures. <laughs> but um, So Russell Shealy got the start in goal. Marcus Antoine, the freshman out of Canada, got the start at the right center back spot over Brett St. Martin. Brett was fine. It was just to get Antoine some minutes, said Sasha Swarovski, and so he saw himself in the center back pairing with Johannes Bergman. Eli Cronali did not start that game due to injury. We saw he picked up a bit of a knock against Akron um, came out and then we saw him take himself out of the game against Villanova with that same knock so he was available but did not start and then really kind of the big talking point for Maryland's lineup was William James Hervey back in the lineup after getting injured in the season opener um, and we'll see how long that lasts 
But uh, we'll start it off. The Wildcats started on the front foot. They got a corner kick 15 seconds into that game, and you kind of saw the intensity from Northwestern right away. Um, and then Northwestern got on the board first in the fourth minute of the game. Matt Motterwell came down the left-hand side, fizzed it across the middle, and Bardia Kimiavi tucked it in on the far post, and Northwestern leads one nothing. Well, it's definitely coming, to be sure. The, f- the first four minutes were pretty much all Wildcats, which is something you don't normally see at Ludwig Field, especially so early on, a visiting team really take it to the Terrapins. But right from right from the, the very start, as you mentioned, 15 seconds in, you get a corner kick. They were pressing. They were moving down the wings. And then Matawalu really dominated that left side pretty much the entirety of the game with a really good ball across. Maryland could have done better to track Kimiavi's run. It was a long run all the way down the right side. And then just Johnny on the spot and right in the right place at the right time to, to put it away. And Northwestern went up one nothing. So the Terps find themselves in that early hole. And it, it went from bad to worse, really, in the eighth minute when William James Reve pulled up again with that same leg muscle injury, this time in the eighth minute. Didn't even make it to the 12th minute like he did in the opener. Um, and so he came out of the game, and that kind of changed Maryland's dynamic quite a bit as well, seeing him go down. Well, it's so frustrating, especially when you go down with a non-contact injury, like Hervé did both in the season opener against USF, if I remember correctly, and then again on Friday against Northwestern. It's very frustrating, and you could tell Maryland really starting to miss that creativity up front. Yes, Matalevich has been really good, in my opinion. He's using his strength very well. He had that phenomenal goal, I believe, against Akron mm-hmm. uh, to give the Terps the one nothing win in that uh, national championship rematch, but there's only so much he can do, and it really seems like he's one of the lone men up top. Malcolm Johnson's trying to provide some help, but Really, when there's no solid attacking midfielder for all 90 minutes, as Brian Pitti is really starting to try to slide into that role but can't. Maryland really missing William James Hervé up front, I think, and his creativity. And so Marcus Antoine, who was another new face in that lineup, as I said, started at center back, but over the course of maybe the first 20 minutes or so, looked pretty shaky. And I don't know if it was the occasion, if it's just he hasn't quite gotten up to the level of the college game yet but there were several times he kind of misread a ball and missed a challenge and just didn't quite read the play the way that he should so he was replaced by Brett St. Martin less than 20 minutes into the game Um, Sasha not exactly thrilled with what he saw not in an angry sense but just we need to fix things we're already down a goal that change needed to be made I mean it's tough to to be a freshman and go right into the middle of a game during a Big Ten opener uh, against Northwestern or against any team, really, and go into not necessarily the most traditional of back fours with the two DeRosas on the wings moving up a bit more than you would commonly see uh, the two uh, wingbacks of a back four. Uh, so it, I think it's a bit harsh to say that Antoine um, but will not get another chance or even won't get another chance um, going forward as he played quite a bit against St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely definitely looked like a different back four once Brett St. Martin got in. He understands the system really well. He had good communication with Johannes Bergman for the majority of the game, and it definitely looked like that was when the tide started to turn a bit when St. Martin came back in. And that, you're exactly right because Maryland started to kind of grow into the game in the last maybe 15, 20 minutes or so. The best chance the Terps had in the end of the first half was Luke Brown had a free kick that was headed off the goal line. Um, the goalkeeper caught cheating a little bit, and then, um, I forget exactly which Northwestern defender headed it off the line, but it was a pretty decent clearance, And but Maryland was kind of knocking on the door going into the break. Yeah, they were. I think it was Garrett Opperman for Northwestern right. yes. uh, headed off, and the goalkeeper was completely beaten. Brown had a phenomenal free kick, and then Opperman just in the right place at the right time, and Brown put it directly onto his forehead, basically, um, which was frustrating because Maryland, as you mentioned, they were really starting to crowd the goal. They were really starting to swirl uh, and swarm the net, and that was the best clear-cut opportunity. It came in a really dangerous position off of the free kick, and Brown did a really good job to get it over the wall and to beat the goalie and just couldn't quite beat Opperman as well. 
And so the Terps go into the break down one nothing to Northwestern. Still 45 minutes for them to turn things around, and they come out of the halftime locker room looking pretty sharp and looking a little bit more lively. And then in the 56th minute, we see Brian Padilla coming down kind of the center. The ball is on his non-favored right foot, but he takes it with the outside part of his left foot and beautifully bends it into the corner. The kid only scores bangers. I mean, he only scores the most beautiful goals. I've said it time and time again. That left foot is magic. And now I, this is my second year of seeing Maryland soccer, and I don't know if I've seen the crew as excited as I were when, when Padilla scored it because you can tell that the frustration was starting to grow at Ludwig Field, especially at halftime when they were still down one nothing, And after the Luke Brown free kick as well, people are starting to think, hey, is this going to be the night where we keep knocking on the door, keep knocking yeah. on the door, just not going to come down. Then Padilla just absolutely unleashes one, and it was as, as loud as Ludwig Field has gotten, in my opinion. And so the Terps have it tied up at one, but about 10 minutes later, a goal pretty much from nothing for Northwestern. And again, it was Matt Motterwell on the left-hand side. Like you said, he dominated pretty much the entire uh, game on that flank. And it was a cross. There's no question about it. There's no way that he could have been going for a goal. It was a very tight angle. He was very close to the end line, but he crossed it and went over Russell Shealy's head and into the, the far side of the netting. And it was deflating for all of Maryland's team and the stadium. You just felt the atmosphere there drop. And it was something that raised questions of Sheely again, and it's not the first time that's happened this season. You look back at the game out in Los Angeles against UCLA, two pretty big errors by Sheely that cost Maryland some goals. And Sasho has been saying in pretty much every time we've talked to him that Maryland has to stop gifting away goals. They have to be a little bit more um, ruthless in that sense. And so it came over top of Sheely's head, and he really didn't make much of an attempt. I don't know if he thought it was going over the goal, if it was not going in that direction. But watching the replay back, he probably could have done a drop step, tipped it over the bar, punched it, done something to ensure that it doesn't end up in the back of the net. Yeah, there, there's two sides to this goal. Number one, really well done by Matt Motterwell. Yeah. The Wildcats didn't have the number, so you do exactly what, what you should do, and that's put the ball in a dangerous situation and let the other team make mistakes. And yeah. He did that really well. The ball was uh, the ball was a good one. It was curling away from where he probably wanted it to be, which would be right along the six-yard box. It just ends up getting the, the good bounce, but that's exactly what you're supposed to do if you're Matt Motterwell. So all the credit in the world to him. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. The goalkeeping situation for Maryland, yes, it's tough. Dane Sinclair's not going to be walking through the door anymore, and that's <laughs> something that that every team has to deal with. No one's going to be returning all of their star players from last year, especially someone who is important to, to Maryland as Dane St. Clair was. And we'll talk a bit more about him, I'm sure, in the in the Pro Terps yep. segment as well as his Minnesota teammate Chase Gasper. But you have to face the reality that, that you won't have that star goalkeeper anymore. And now you have two goalkeepers who are both pretty young. Russell Shealy was Dane St. Clair's backup last year, so a lot that he could have learned from Dane St. Clair. And you see sparks of that sometimes. There are times when he, he looks in command in the box, but like you say, there's there's times where he just seems caught in between two ideas, and I think that was certainly something uh, that that he did on that Motherwell goal was, do I come out and punch it? Do I be aggressive? Do I sit back and wait for it to come to me? And just ended up making the wrong decision in the end. So Northwestern retakes the lead 2-1, to one, and not too many clear-cut chances for Maryland and not too many clear-cut for Northwestern uh, for the remainder of the game until the 86th minute where an errant back pass by Nick Richardson, who I think had moved in the game from his holding midfield spot to cover at right back for a little bit and then moved over to left back for a little bit while Maryland was trying to commit more numbers forward. And it was in... Errant back pass, as I said, and Ty Seeger got on the end of it and tucked it over top of 
Russell Shealy, and that was the dagger. And that was how Northwestern sealed that 3-1 win over Maryland. That It, it was an upset. It, it really was when you look that Northwestern hadn't won a conference game since 2017, and they only had one conference win in 2017. So to get it over the defending national champions at Ludwig Field was pretty impressive for Northwestern. Well, it was, and that third goal is something that uh, a lot of people don't think about when they think about goalies. You think about something more like that second goal in the net, mm-hmm. something going towards the net. But and that was partially on Russell Shealy to have communication with your yeah. with your back line, whether it's a back four or whatever formation Maryland goes to if they try to commit numbers forward. And Richardson just wasn't in communication with Russell Shealy. That's something that comes with time, obviously, with playing together a lot. But that's also something that Maryland's going to need to find in the goalkeeping spot relatively quickly as somebody who can communicate with the defense and with the more defensive-minded midfielders uh, to build out of the back because that's something that Maryland tried to do against Northwestern sometimes. Uh, and it didn't have a whole lot of success, frankly, moving forwards. As you said, just overall, yeah, it's most definitely an upset for Northwestern. And we were looking ahead at the schedule. They host Indiana relatively soon. You have to be thinking that that's a chance that Northwestern can win that game because that just fills them with confidence uh, if you go on the road and beat the defending national champions. And for Maryland on the other side, yes, it was a, a pretty big gut punch to be sure to not only lose a game like that to Northwestern, to lose it in that fashion, but also to go 0-1 in Big Ten play when it's really the start of the new second season, essentially. Yes, you have the really, really tough non-conference schedule. Sasha Swarovski loves to schedule really, really tough non-conference, and that's excellent. That gets you prepared for the Big Ten, but then you come into the Big Ten and drop the first game. It's definitely demoralizing. And that's exactly the kind of the feeling of the team afterwards in, in the postgame uh, media availability was that Sasha said it was an incredibly uncharacteristic loss uh, for Maryland and said it left them feeling, I think, empty and just kind of essentially crushed a little bit because that's not what they were expecting on a Friday night in front of a packed. Um, it was scarf night. It was scarf night, and that's the kind of result that, that they put out. And so it was very uncharacteristic of Maryland as a whole. But we now transition a little bit. They had a chance to bounce back against the number nine team in the nation on Monday night against St. John's, who came into the game ranked, as I said, number nine with a 7-0 and record. They had just taken down a ranked Xavier team coming into that game. So it was a chance for Maryland to kind of respond but they had their hands tied a little bit. And because of some of those injuries that we've talked about, Paul Ben already out for the season. Um, then William James Hervey was out again against St. John's after re-aggravating that injury against Northwestern. And then Eli Cronali, who had been struggling, he came in for maybe the last 10-ish minutes of the Northwestern game and played, but was ruled completely out against St. John's. And then David Kovacic, who is really kind of the like-for-like replacement for Eli Cronali that you would say, oh, if Cronali goes down, you have Kovacic. Well, he was out, too. He picked up a bit of a knock against Northwestern that we didn't know about until before the game. He played against Northwestern and seemed fine. And then Brian Padilla's minutes were fairly limited as well because he he picked up a little bit of a knock. So you're getting to that point of the season where fatigue is setting in, but you're also having the injuries pile up. And so that kind of forced Maryland and Sasha Swarovski to play a different way. They came out in a completely different formation, and I'll just kind of go through what the starting 11 was because it was very different. It was a 3-5-2 formation, so three defenders, five midfielders, two forwards. We've seen Maryland shift into this in a game, but we never saw them start from kickoff in this formation. So Nicholas Newman was back in goal. His eye is mostly better. He can see, uh, which always helps as a goalkeeper, or 
player, life in general, whatever it may be. Um, so Newman was in goal. Your back three from left to right was Johannes Bergman, uh, Brett St. Martin, and then Marcus Antoine. So back-to-back starts for Antoine, but in a different system this time with Brett St. Martin still in there. Then you had two wing backs, which are essentially like outside defenders, but in this system they have a lot more freedom to get forward and attack, which is exactly what they did in the Twins, Matt DeRosa and Ben DeRosa left and right respectively. Now Nick Richardson stayed as his defensive midfielder spot, but didn't have Eli Cronali or David Kovacic paired next to him. Instead it was Malcolm Johnston, who was traditionally an attacking midfielder. We've also seen him play out wide. Now, he is not an Eli Cronali. He is not a David Kovacic. Uh, so he had played a little bit in the exhibition games in the pre- in the uh, offseason um, as that box-to-box, but not in a real game. Then ahead of him, you had Luke Brown, the transfer from Hofstra. And then up top, you had Eric Matzlevich and Justin Gielen starting together. I think that was 11. I think I covered them all. But a very different system for Maryland than what we're used to seeing. And it was in part, as I said, due to injuries. It kind of forced Sasha's hand. You have to put the players out there you have at your disposal, but you might have to shift the formation a little bit. And I think part of that is because those names that you mentioned that went down, that's pretty much, if if not the entirety, then the large majority of the creative forces that Maryland has. And if you even go back to Paul Ben, but namely Brian Padilla and Eli Cronalli and William James Survey, that's who you really rely on for your offensive inspiration. Uh, when you move out into wings and when you move more direct even. Um, so so it's definitely something that Maryland would have had to, to change, and they did so exactly. Matt and Ben DeRosa love to go down the wings regardless of what actual formation Maryland comes out, and they, they love to get forward. They love to get into the attack. And so this was a formation that really allowed Maryland to play to their strengths when they didn't have all of their perhaps best starting 11 or first choice starting 11 out on the field. And so – we're calling this a recap of the game, but it's not going to be kind of minute by minute like we did Northwestern because not much happened. It was not exactly a thrilling, just action-packed matchup between a number nine team in the nation, St. John's, and the defending national champion, Maryland Terrapins. It was a little bit of a, a drab performance, dull, whatever you want. There's a lot of words you could use. Not much happened. So at halftime, it's 0-0. At the end of regulation, it's 0-0. Not a ton of incredible chances for either team. So you go into overtime. Chris Rindolph, who is a walk-on, had a chance to win it in the 95th minute, but he put his header wide. That was probably the biggest chance for either team, and it took 95 minutes to get there. Uh, So you go into double overtime. You see how quickly I'm moving through this. I'm fast-forwarding 10 minutes in a sentence. Um, You go to double overtime, and again, not too much happening until the 109th minute. Johannes Bergman was on a lot of the left-footed set-piece duties because Brian Padilla wasn't always in the lineup. And so he had a corner kick taken from the near side, uh, Maryland attacking left to right in this sense had a corner kick from the near side with his left foot. It was swung in, cleared away by St. John's. It fell out to Matt DeRosa, who was trying to uh, stay even with his twin brother in the in the screamer goal column uh, this season. And so he fizzed it back in, but through traffic, and eventually it last touched off of Brett St. Martin into the back of the net. Maryland storms Brett St. Martin at the far side of the field, and the Terps win. They beat the number nine team in the nation. It was a, if you want to put it nicely, a gutsy win, a character win. 
but it was not a pretty win, and it was one that took a lot of energy playing 110 minutes on a two-day turnaround. Well, if we go back to the the overall theme of the injuries and how Maryland has to react, that's a game that Maryland needs to learn how to win uh, because you're not going to get everyone back all year. We know that already because Paul Bin's not going to be playing this year either. So you're not always going to get that creative offensive inspiration moving forward, some free-flowing soccer, getting out to the wide uh, areas and then sending it right back in that we've seen Maryland play. We've seen them play some beautiful soccer so far this year. I think against Akron, they really had a period of 10 or 15 minutes where they looked as good as they've been all year and ended up finishing with Eric Matalevich's just absolute banger of a goal uh, to beat the Zips. But that's not always going to happen, especially on a two-day turnaround, especially when you don't have Eli Crinelli and William James Hervé in the starting lineup or out on the field in general. So it's a good win for Maryland. I think, yes, it's against the number nine team in the country, but I think beyond that, just the fact that they can learn to win regardless of whether they're at home or away when they don't necessarily have their best. And so Maryland does get the win. So definitely a step up from the loss against Northwestern. Not exactly the performance they would have wanted to bounce back, but in the end, they get the result uh, to head into Big Ten play again on Friday against Wisconsin. So we will be previewing that one. But before we get to that, I had the chance to sit down with Maryland forward Justin Geelan, who has been leading Maryland's line with Eric Matzlevich over the past few games. And Justin, as I said in the open, is a local guy, grew up in the area of Baltimore Celtic. Um, and has a lot of connections to the area. So we talked about kind of his journey to get to Maryland, um, and then we also had a lot of fun about kind of the the same themes we've been talking about with a lot of guys, like who is the best at Fortnite. We did a little superlatives, I guess, if you will. But um, we'll now go to the interview with Maryland forward Justin Geelan. I'm now joined by Justin Geelan, forward for the men's soccer team. And, Justin, uh, I want to start off with something I've wanted to ask you for a while, something that's been on my mind a lot. Um, your Twitter header is a picture of Johannes. Why? <laughs> it was, was a little joke between us. Um, I just called it. I said it was a it was a really nice picture of my friend Johannes. Uh-huh. Was, you know, I just wanted people to see my friend. Show him off a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, there you go. So, um, this will, we'll actually start with maybe okay. <laughs> uh, you uh, growing up. You're from the area, local guy. You played yep. for Celtic, but kind of what was your journey from being a little kid up to stepping on the field at Ludwig? At Ludwig, oh boy, uh, a lot. Um, to be honest, for for most of the journey, getting to Ludwig, I thought of myself as a basketball player first. Mm-hmm. So up until like freshman or sophomore year of high school, uh, basketball was my focus. Soccer was kind of it was fun, and I was always pretty good at it. But it wasn't like I didn't think of myself as a soccer player. But then when I started getting recruited by places like Maryland and other big time colleges, I was like, okay, you know, maybe I could, should take this more seriously. Yeah, and then yeah. So what was it kind of like playing for Baltimore Celtic, which is a very prestigious academy, not only in the area but in the nation, while also maybe playing basketball? And if soccer wasn't maybe your main thing, still playing for Celtic and all that? Yeah, um, it was a lot, especially playing basketball, because the, the basketball season and the Celtic season overlapped a lot. So there were there were a lot of days where I would, right after school, I would do some homework, go to basketball practice, then right after basketball practice drive up to uh, – uh, Baltimore, which is like an hour and a half drive at the time, mm-hmm. and then have soccer practice and then drive home and do more homework. <laughs> so you were kind of ready for that student-athlete schedule kind of mentality even before you got to college. Yeah, um, to be honest, college has been a bit of a load off for me. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, when I when I first got here, 
um, I was uh, one of my main concerns was what I was going to do with all my free time <laughs> because I was so used to just playing two sports my yeah. whole life. Um, but you know, it's been fun. <laughs> so, how many of the because there's a lot of Baltimore Celtic guys on the team? How many did you run into before you got to Maryland? Um, I knew I knew of both of the two kids, Justin and Isaac. I knew of both of them. Um, obviously, me and Nick, we we knew each other for a while. Mm. We grew up playing against each other. Actually, it was it, Fuster was his club team in, mm. in the little leagues, and his coach, Barry Stitz, was the coach for Fuster, and they would always destroy us like all the time. And then <laughs> eventually, we merged the two teams, and Barry became the head coach, and then that's where that's where we kind of started getting really good. Yeah. So, like I said, a lot of guys from Baltimore Celtic, but. You're an incredible basketball player, too. Every, we know a lot about your soccer abilities uh. and stuff like that. So this is kind of a time, part of the goal of this whole podcast thing was to was to talk about your life kind of maybe away from soccer and actually kind of get to know you guys like yeah, as for sure. people. Um, and so when did you start playing basketball compared to soccer? Which came first? Um, I, at the same time, from, yeah. from birth, I, I played both sports. My mom and dad were both student-athletes. Uh, in college, they went to the same college, and my dad played basketball, and my mom played soccer. Um, so, yeah, growing up, there was, there was both of those influences at all times. And so you have some pretty athletic siblings, too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my brother, was uh, he just graduated from UMBC. He played soccer there. And then my sister was a cheerleader here in Maryland for four years, and she played soccer and gymnastics growing up. So we're very a sport-focused family. <laughs> And so when you said you were getting recruited for soccer, you were also still playing basketball, kind of like it's weird to think of you. You're playing. You just won a national championship for a Division One soccer team, but you were a basketball player for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I have been I've been told, and I confirmed it with Eric on the walk in. Uh-huh. Did maybe somebody in the basketball program here have a word with you? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I had I my dad and Mark Turgeon. I'm pretty sure are pretty close friends, uh-huh. or at least know each other pretty well, or whatever. And my grandfather uh, <laughs> is an interesting story about my grandfather. He's uh, he's this big construction worker guy. Like in the construction world, everybody is afraid of him and all that sort of thing. <laughs> like he's a he's a real hardo. Um, but one of his favorite things to do is bake cookies for people and just give people dozens of cookies at a time. So really? like, yeah. So there's there's a bunch of stories of like people going into his trailer and all that and um, going in and they're like scared. Yeah. And then he gives them a tray of cookies. But anyway, <laughs> I, I bring him up because uh, he gives cookies to uh, a bunch of people in the Maryland basketball world. So so I've known a lot of them uh, for a while. Or at least. They've, so they've what was the conversation that was maybe had with? Mark Turgeon. Yeah, um, I, I I always had the option to play both sports here. Uh-huh. Um, I never really wanted to. I, I you know I kind of wanted to focus on one. Finally, yeah. you know, in my life, uh, and it, it's been work. It worked out pretty well, I think, for the first year. Have you one on one any of the guys on the team, like the actual basketball team? <laughs> basketball play players? No, 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 I haven't. I would love to. I was gonna say we go. should make that happen. We should probably make that happen. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I was asking Eric what to ask you about, and Taylor said it, and I want to confirm before I actually yeah, brought that yeah, up. Yeah, but, yeah, of course. Um, and so you're an incredibly smart guy too. Banneker Key scholarship, like you are w- probably one of the most intelligent grade wise guys in the school. Really, with having that scholarship. How do you balance all of that from I mean, you talked about it a little bit in high school, but here to maintain those grades and everything, how much of a challenge is that? Uh, yeah, college is definitely a totally different picture than high school. High school, everything was mapped out, you know, exactly what you did mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. College is a lot more kind of freelance. You have to pretty much make it on your own, which is a big shift. But um, 
uh, honestly, it's it's the upbringing of my parents. They both, my mom and dad both graduated from Harvard, so I have a huge background of just doing, getting in, doing your work, mm-hmm. and getting it done with. Um, so it's kind of that's just the mentality that I have with school. So what is your major? Finance. What made you want to get into that? Uh, my dad's my dad's a huge business finance guy. I, uh, he he's got a lot of connections in the business world, um, so I think it would be a good thing. Plus. Uh, who knows? I might want to start my own business when I'm older. It's good to have an MBA or whatever. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, so it's good to do that sort of thing. I think. Um, so now we'll kind of go into some of those random questions that Absolutely. I like asking you guys, and Absolutely. you can answer as fast as you want. You can answer as slow as you want. Give as many answers as you want. Okay. Um, favorite movie? Kicking and Screaming. Great choice. Great movie. That is such a great. There's so many people involved with soccer that have not seen that movie really? and it's so disappointing ridiculous absolutely ridiculous yeah will ferrell real was he does well in that and movie i've uh, probably seen it probably like 15 times yeah yeah it was one of those there was that movie that's you have the dvd in your car and yeah. every time you have a long trip that's we put it on do you have a favorite quote from that movie oh boy because <laughs> that's one of my family and I, quote. <laughs> so, I don't know do you do you have a favorite uh, quote? i mean i wave goodbye to juice box is probably my one. favorite we one. had an yeah, intramural like soccer team and we named it wave goodbye to juice yeah box, so. <laughs> that's good yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of good ones in that one. It's a great movie. Uh, favorite TV show or maybe whatever you're binge watching? No question, The Office. The Office. I'm a huge The Office fan. That's a very good choice <laughs> as well. Um, what kind of music do you listen to, either for your pregame pump-up playlist or just when you're kind of hanging out, kicking back? Uh a whole bunch of different types of music for pregame and that sort of thing. It's usually like rap or whatever, something with a beat yeah, that I can kind of get hyped to. But you know, in in my any day life, uh, anything from like Jack Johnson and John Mayer to like uh, Roddy Rich, Offset, like like there's a lot of different things. Country every now and then if yeah. I'm in the mood for that or whatever. Yeah, I like a lot of things. Um, what is the most interesting place you've traveled to? Interesting place I've traveled to. <sighs> Probably Cancun yeah. on vacation. That was pretty fun. Stayed at a resort for Thanksgiving. It was probably a, it was a good experience. What was the there. most fun thing you did down in Cancun? Oh, we played probably beach volleyball for 10 hours a day. Really? It was awesome. Oh, it was so great. Strawberry daiquiris. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. Um, what would be your... I don't. You may have one, but what is your go-to karaoke song? Karaoke song? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, well, actually, we... Uh, we have to have a karaoke song uh, being a freshman yeah, on the soccer ben team. Yeah, Ben was talking about and that. And I chose, well, what did I do? I think I did Waiting on the World to Change from John Okay. Mayer. Yeah, I think that I did that one. And would that still be, if you were to go do karaoke today, here, what, like two ish, three ish years later? Maybe. St- maybe. Still hold it would have one? to be something uncomfortable with. Like yeah. like Jack Johnson and John Mayer, because I can play those on guitar. So I, You can play guitar? I do play the guitar. Okay, I was going to ask about that because every time we've had. Air, like I've asked the guys, I was like, "Do you have any interesting talents?" They're like, "No, not really." I was like, "Do you play any instruments?" They're like, "No." Yeah. So you play, when did you start playing guitar? Uh, my dad started teaching me probably when I got into high school, I think, okay. like ninth grade, tenth grade, around there. And so he would just teach me like whatever song he was learning, and I would try to learn it. Obviously, he'd be better than me, but like <laughs> I would just try. And yeah, so I've kind of just picked it up. I have a guitar in my room, just play, strum it every now and then. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so if you were to do a karaoke duet with somebody on the team, on the team. Who, who would you pick? <laughs> um, probably, probably Paul Ben. Paul Ben's yeah. got a really soft and nice voice. Yeah, very soothing. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's a good one. Um, if you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, or if you, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Kava. Yeah? For sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I never had it before I came to College Park, but now I have it 
twice. Isn't, isn't that Nick's families? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They supply it. Yeah, yeah. yeah Nick Richardson. Yeah, well, Richardson gonna, Farms. <laughs> I'm gonna have him on, and we're gonna talk about all that at some awesome. point too. Yeah, yeah. Um, who is the worst singer on the team? Go back to that. <laughs> oh boy, uh, oh, I don't know. I don't want to put anyone on the spot. If I had to guess, so so here's the thing: you don't want to put anyone on the spot. We're fine doing that because the guys have the chance to respond <laughs> and like come back. So don't okay, feel bad all right, at all. All right, I'll think about it then. Um, <laughs> if I had to guess. It would probably be like Will Johannes. Johannes okay. is definitely the worst. Okay. The so Eric said Paul and then Johannes. So <laughs> yeah. um, maybe we'll have to get the two of them together. Um, who has the best hair on the team? You best can say hair. yourself if you. I hate my hair. I don't. Let, I don't have a good hairline, so it's terrible. Best hair on the team. Who am I most jealous of? That's who I should think of. Definitely not Will. He's gonna hate that I said that. Um, best hair. I, I don't know. I don't know. We got, we got a lot of good hair. Um, I like Brian's. Yeah. Brian's got a good head of hair. Yeah. And Especially he, when he dyes it. It looks pretty cool. He dyes his hair? Uh, every now and then. Okay. When he came in, when he, when he was a freshman before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, who is the most likely to oversleep or miss, miss something? Just... Uh, probably me or Johannes. Yeah. Johannes is always <laughs> coming into the locker room like, oh, man, you have no idea the morning I had. It was, that, was an imp- that was an amazing impression. Was good, yeah, that was you. very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, can you do impressions of anybody else on the team? Not really. No. no. I stayed with Johannes in Florida for like a month over the summer, yeah. so I'm pretty familiar with his <laughs> voice. Um, so who is the most maybe like unkept, the messiest, uh, either locker, apartment, car, and again, they have the chance to respond, so don't feel bad. Um, if mm, I've not, I haven't been in everyone's room, mm-hmm. but from the rooms that I've seen, it's probably Craig. Or That's who everyone. Said. <laughs> yeah, we might have to have a little intervention with Craig. Craig, Craig might need an intervention to get his get his stuff together. Yeah. Um, so, if you were to play 1v1 basketball versus somebody on the team who do you think could hold their own the most because obviously i think you're going to say that you could just destroy who could hold their own the most um one of the well the derosas are pretty good mm-hmm. um Matsalevich likes to play but he's not very good. <laughs> uh, i haven't seen chris rindoff play but i have a feeling that he's pretty good he's a big guy yeah he's a big guy seems kind of reasonably coordinated. coordinated yeah i think i think he could he could hold his own but if i had to give a sure guess probably like ben derosa so if you maybe we'll do this if you were to make a starting five from okay. the team who who would who would play and who would play where okay so uh i think i would put myself at the point okay makes sense and then i would probably have ben and matt at the 2 and the 3 mm-hmm. the 4 would probably be chris and then big old Niklas running the five, <laughs> getting in there, getting rebounds. Now, now that he has his other eye open, exactly, now, exactly. He can, now he that you can, can see, see, he's got the peripheral you yeah. know, passes. He showed me pictures like off his phone when that Ugh, happened. It was disgusting. It, was it looked gruesome. like a like a red hole, like I know. a black hole, but red. It was disgusting. <laughs> his eyebrow like fell off or something. Oh, oh, so um, anyway, this is only audio, so you're lucky that you don't be, you're not able to see anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. There's been some debate about uh, some some banter about a few things on the team. Okay. So one that was brought up was poker. Are you at all involved in the poker s- scheme circle? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What what is that, and how does that all kind of go? Well, down? we I think we've played one real game of poker as okay. a group. There was like eight or nine of us. Uh, I don't want to brag or anything, but I did win <laughs> okay. the game. Um, but yeah, I, it's something that I want to do a lot more with the team. It's yeah. a, a lot of good fun. Um, yeah. 
So video games is another controversy. Video games. We'll start with FIFA. Fort. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll start FIFA. with FIFA because I know start Fortnite FIFA. gets very. Fortnite will yes, get more. That's so a let's whole start. segment. Let's start so, with FIFA. That's um, uh, who is the best and who is the worst? Uh, who's good at FIFA? Um, Brian's pretty good. Uh, the worst. <laughs> I don't know, man. Probably, I, again, I don't know everyone. Out of the people you know. Yeah, because, honestly, the worst person is probably the person no one knows about. Yeah, that's about, a good point. They but, don't play as much. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably uh, Fola. Yeah. <laughs> no, Fola's pretty good, but we have a joke uh, that we always say that Fola's overrated in anything that he does. Yeah. It's just Fola's overrated. <laughs> so that's why I say Fola. All right. Maybe we'll have to have him on to respond to that, too. Um, and now we'll get into the Fortnite segment. Okay. So uh, who who plays the most on the team? We'll start with that. Well, um, I before we get into that, I do need to shout out Amar. Please. Because he played Fortnite ridiculously. Really? Like, so much. He would get home, do his homework or whatever. You know, he was a super responsible kid. Always get his stuff done. But then go right to Fortnite <laughs> for hours at a day. Wow. And he was really good. So, it, you know, uh, in the past two years, definitely okay. Amar was the best. But now... I would probably say uh, probably probably me, Mike, or one of the DeRosas okay. are the best, I think. Okay. Yeah. That is, do, do we have a clear worst <laughs> that we know of? The people Of the people who played, yeah. definitely Matt's. Yeah. Eric Matsalis. He, yeah. he, he admitted that he was off. Yeah, but he's just starting. You gotta, you gotta cut him a little slack. Yeah. He's just getting into the groove. But he's got he's got good spirit, good energy. I think that he'll uh, I think he'll improve didn't, quickly. Didn't he just get an Xbox or something? So <laughs> yeah. That he could yeah, practice he literally or something? just got an Xbox like a month ago. Um is there any other like things like that, that you guys compete at, just kind of cut on each other about? I mean, I'm sure it's a lot, but is there anything that we need to be aware of that goes on behind the scenes? <laughs> um not really. Um me, Brian, uh, Eli, and Will, and a couple other guys. There's this guy, Ed Bassmaster, on Instagram. Uh, I'm not he, not, not that many people know him, which is why it's so funny. But like, he, he does this thing where he mumbles a lot, mm -hmm. and you have no idea what he says. And so uh, last year, and it's carried over into this year, we'll kind of just mumble like – like he's like that sort of thing we'll just go back and forth have a conversation like that and no one else will have any idea what's going on but clearly we understand yeah, yeah. yeah. so if you ever hear us mumbling or just saying ridiculous Complete things nonsense. that's that's where it's that's where it's from that makes total sense yeah. um who is probably the worst cook on the team <laughs> oh boy the worst cook. like like can't even boil water uh oh boy it was Paul Frendak, but he just transferred to Temple. Yeah. He was terrible. <laughs> um, uh, probably, I would say Will is yeah. pretty bad. He he has this thing where he doesn't really check to make sure the meat's done. He just kind of takes it off and eats it. Wow. <laughs> it's like just red in the middle. Like, yeah. bro, it's not it's not healthy for yeah. you. But uh, yeah, probably Will. Who, He's going to hate that I said that. Who's the best cook then? The best cook, Ryan Blumberg. Really? I'm so impressed with every meal that Ryan has. Wow. Yeah, he always he gets up early, he makes his breakfast, he sometimes he makes a lunch for later. It's always it's always spectacular. What kind of stuff does he make? All sorts of stuff. Like like he he'll have greens and potatoes and then some good meat or whatever. It'll usually be like a salad type thing. He has this little wooden or bamboo bowl or whatever he has. It's kinda <laughs> it's weird. It's even better if it's bamboo. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's a cool bowl. Um yeah, so it probably Ryan. He's got good meals. All right. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we can expose people on. <laughs> okay. Is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, not particularly. Put anyone on blast? 
I, I think I've done enough of that. Okay, you've <laughs> done enough damage. Put enough, yeah, I put enough damage. That's that's <laughs> fair. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, really absolutely. appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So once again, I'd like to thank Justin Gillen for taking the time out of his busy schedule to sit down with me and join me on the podcast. Another one of the guys we wanted to kind of get to know off the field a little bit as well. As I've said many, many times, that's kind of one of the points of this podcast is to show the guys personalities and what clowns they are off the field. So and I'm allowed to say that now. So um, we'll now transition into our preview of the game against Wisconsin. Now we're not going to preview the game against Rutgers because that comes next Wednesday. And we're hoping to have a podcast in between uh, early next week. So the, the Wednesday game doesn't quite fit with our podcast schedule. It's a shame they didn't consult us. I'm kidding. But uh, we're, we'll probably have something early next week to preview the Rutgers and then Cal State Fullerton game. But first, we will start with Wisconsin. And it was an intense game last year that really was, again, demoralizing for Maryland. And Paul Bin scored in the seventh minute of that game to give Maryland a one nothing lead. And so you have that lead very, very early in the game. And then Maryland concedes in the 90th minute. Uh, to force things to overtime. Michael Russell getting that goal for Wisconsin. You battle it out in overtime, and then in the 107th minute, Zach Klansnick scored to give the Badgers the win, and it was really just kind of polar opposites the way the game started and ended. Just pure excitement and confidence with the Paul Bin goal coming so early, and then just an utter letdown for Maryland at the end of the game. So you have this matchup coming up again uh, tonight, Friday night. Um, Wisconsin comes into this one struggling a bit, 2-6 and six overall, just 0-1 in Big Ten play, a loss to Indiana in Bloomington, which we, you and I agreed, Ben, that it's a pretty reasonable loss. Indiana's still one of the best teams in the nation. But, Ben, how do you kind of see this matchup um, unfolding between Maryland and Wisconsin? Well, the Badgers are still kind of an unknown quantity. Yes, they're 2-6, and six, they're 0-1, haven't gotten off to a very good start. But this is a very young team. They have 11 freshmen on this roster, so a lot still to do for Wisconsin and a lot of growth that they can still have. And there's, it, it's a tough team to prepare for because they only have five goals on the year, but that comes from five different players. So there's offense kind of spread out throughout this Wisconsin team, or at least a lot of offensive potential spread out through this Wisconsin team. So can't really be like, hey, let's let's stop this one guy, maybe yeah. have Johannes Bergman or Brett St. Martin just shadow him, keep mm-hmm. him off the field, essentially. There's a lot of different ways that Wisconsin can score, and that makes it very difficult to game plan for. And so it's going to be a, a tough matchup. We'll see kind of what system Maryland goes out with. I I get the feeling that Sasha hasn't really decided if he wants to go back to that 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, however you want to look at it, or stay with the 3-5-2. Now it's going to depend on the injuries and how quickly guys can get healthy. Um, and so I was at training the other day, and it did look like most of the guys were, were practicing. Um, I think William James Hervé was maybe the only one still out. And again, that's not confirmed by the team. That was just me kind of spying a little bit. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see. And you can catch Tom Hindle's coverage here on WMUCsports.net and on our social media. Obviously, it's out in Madison. We will not have the broadcast. And uh, some of our staff will be at a different Maryland event that uh, holds some some weight as well in that Penn State game. But the Penn State game, you can catch here on WMUC Sports Radio. Max Marcilla and Matt Levine will have the call of, I think, the first sold-out game in four. Four years. years. Yep. Four years. So, um, 
different kind of football, but still still relevant to WMUC. Uh, so now we will shift to our Pro Terps segment here because, again, as we like to do every week, and as if you follow me on Twitter for the few that may, um, I like to tweet a lot about the guys playing at the next level because there are several former Maryland Terrapins doing a lot of things in Major League Soccer and some of the other uh, professional leagues in the world. So I want to start off with Minnesota United because that's kind of – uh, Toronto may have a few more, but that is kind of the hub of Terps from last year, at least. And they have Chase Gasper and Dane St. Clair. And on Wednesday night, the Loons of Minnesota United made the MLS playoffs for the first time in their three years in the league. And it was really a great sight if you were able to catch any of it, any of the game live or any of it on social media. Um but Chase Gasper has really become a big part of that team and a big part of that playoff push starting 13 games since late June and being a key part of Minnesota's team that really has kind of been clicking a lot recently. Yeah, this is a team that I think besides LAFC can lay an honest claim as the second best team uh, in the Western Conference. Everyone talks about LAFC versus LA, Zlatan mm-hmm. versus Vela, and Seattle's always in the mix as well. And of course, they're very good teams as well. LA Galaxy are third, Seattle Sounders are fourth. But right in front of them, Minnesota United in second place in the Western Conference with two games to go. Yes, LAFC is heads and shoulders above, I think, everyone else in, in Major League Soccer. But as you mentioned, Chase Gasper has been a big part of what the Loons have done. He started 13 games. He's played in 14 games for Minnesota United. He's been a big part. Ethan Finlay, of course, up top has been great in that attack, has really been going, and Allianz Field is starting to become a real fortress up in Minnesota after they were playing, I believe, on the campus of the University of Minnesota Mm -hmm. for the first couple years now that they have their own real soccer-specific stadium. Minnesota United really starting to click, and what is kind of becoming the the year for MLS expansion teams or teams joining from from lower leagues. That Mm -hmm. second or third year is really when everything starts to click for these expansion teams, and really the case right now for the Loons. So it's the, as I said, it's the first time they've made the playoffs in three major league soccer seasons, and it's in the year where they have two Terrapins on their roster. Coincidence? I, I think, think not. not. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so Chase has made a big impact on the field, but Dane has been having a great time in training. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos Minnesota United has posted, but they do like it's like soccer tennis in training, and Dane has been just lighting up the bicycle kicks. Like, just full-on, like, I think at least two in a row in both videos. Like, this is not a, a like, lone occurrence. He is, or a loon occurrence, maybe. That was Ooh. a terrible pun. That was as cheesy as a Wisconsin, never mind. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, no, I mean, you can look it up on social media. Like, Dane just, like, firing bicycle kicks off in training. It's been it's been great fun to watch. And he was part of the celebrations. And um, they, they scored in Minnesota, scored over uh, Sporting Kansas City, I believe it was, Wednesday night, 2-1 in the 90th minute. Mason Toy got the goal, and it was just absolute delirium in that stadium. And you saw Chase Gasper right there in the celebrations. And it was pretty cool to see um, Chase and Dane after the game just enjoying that moment, knowing that they were just here on campus winning a national championship a year ago. I think that does actually still have effects on College Park because if you're Sasha Swarovski and you're trying to recruit, you can say, hey, one year after not only do you play in Maryland, but you win the national championship in Maryland, you're in Major League Soccer. You're not just in Major League Soccer. You're competing for an MLS Cup. You're getting a lot of playing time. Chase Gasper is all over the place in Minnesota United. He's probably of those last-year players' crop. He's probably getting the most playing time, I would say. But that helps so much if you're trying to decide where to go. Not only, yes, do you get to come to Ludwig Field, you get to play in front of 
one of the largest crowds in college soccer on a, a pretty consistent basis. But if you're looking on at to how to to set yourself up for success, if you're if you're trying to pursue soccer at a professional level, which of course all these high school recruits are trying to do, Sasha Swarovski can still point to what Chase Gasper is doing in Major League Soccer with the Loons and Dane St. Clair right in the middle of that and say, hey, you get to be at this scene. Uh, relatively quickly after you get to the scene at Ludwig Field. Yeah, and so we'll stick with one of the guys from the national championship team last year. It'll actually be the guy that scored the game-winning goal in the national championship, Amar Sadich. And he's a guy that really was kind of on the outside looking in after being drafted by Montreal uh, up in Canada. And the impact drafted him, and he didn't really make the bench a ton. He wasn't really like kind of around the team. And so it was kind of one of those things is, is he ever – going to feature for this team does he maybe need a change of scenery however over the weekend he made his MLS debut in the starting lineup for the Montreal Impact last Saturday versus the LA Galaxy played almost 70 minutes or so in that game but to get your first appearance and it's your first start is a pretty good sign for Ramar especially for I mean it Montreal has struggled a bit but it's it seemed like it wasn't going to materialize for him and then he's in the starting lineup and it's a glimmer of hope it is, especially, I think that you have to take this year, especially for everything with Montreal, with almost a grain of salt. It's been a year of turnover, a year of yeah. really underperformance, expectations relatively high for this impact club, at least to make the playoffs in MLS. And I don't know if they're mathematically eliminated yet or not, but they're, uh, the chances are highly unlikely that they're going to actually make the playoffs. And with the coaching change as well this year, mm -hmm. kind of a new system coming into Montreal and Marseille, it's really trying to find how exactly he fits into that system. They actually are still still mathematically alive. They're five points back of seventh place with two games to go. So highly unlikely, especially yeah. the way that, that New England Revolution are playing right now on the seventh spot. But Amar Sadich, I think, is going to try to – I think he will start to find a more playing time with Montreal. It's a team that really screams for a – impact guy, especially with the fact that Ignacio Piatti. Yes, Do you realize I, the pun you made? I, I did. I okay. was just moving straight past okay. it. Um, with, especially with the fact that Ignacio Piatti is, is no longer really the guy in mm -hmm. Montreal anymore. Kind of screams for that playmaker in Montreal. I think Sadich, we've seen at least in College Park, can be that guy. And yeah. so I think he's going to at least get a chance to prove himself up in Montreal. And so we'll stay in the Great White North with Toronto FC. And that's been kind of that's the team that has probably the most Terps on it, and I think mathematically it does, with Patrick Mullins, Omar Gonzalez, and Subasa Endo. And really, obviously, Omar Gonzalez on the U.S. national team. Patrick Mullins has been around for a while. But Subasa Endo's kind of breaking out a little bit. And he, as we said last time, he had scored last week. But then in the 70th minute of an aggregate loss to the Montreal Impact um, in the Canadian Championship, Subasa got another goal, and he can't stop scoring at the moment, but it's kind of nice to see him up in Toronto with a few other Terps having some decent success right now. And this is a, a team that's a pretty trendy pick to make a run yeah. in MLS playoffs. They haven't lost a game since all the way back on August the 3rd. Wow. Um, it was a 2-0 loss to, uh, to New York Red Bulls, and they've had a, a pretty tough schedule, say, for that, that game in Cincinnati. They've tied NYCFC. They've tied LAFC over the course of their past three games. So this is a team that's really starting to trend up, and as you mentioned, the Terps, big part of that. And so another guy that is seeing some time at the Major League Soccer level is Eric Williamson. He's been making some appearances for the Portland Timbers out west. And he's made, I think, a few stars, but has also made some sub-appearances. But he's also still getting consistent minutes with Portland Timbers 2 in the USL. And, uh, again, you can find this on social media. I think I quote tweeted it at the beginning of the week. He scored a stunning free kick over the weekend. Just an abs absolute thing of 
just mass technical mastery. And so he's a guy that is playing pretty well right now. And it seems like all Terps at all levels are scoring just beautiful goals. And you see a lot, you see Benderosa, Eric Matzalevich, Brian Padilla a few times, like all these guys. Um, and then Eric getting that one. And then, I mean, that's a good transition into the next guy, Gordon Wild, who's playing with Loudoun United down in Leesburg. And we, I know we talked about him last week. He's been pretty hot for uh, Loudoun United, but he scored twice on Wednesday night against Swope Park Rangers. And one, again, a free kick with that left foot that everyone in College Park got so familiar with went to the opposite side of the goal, caught the goalkeeper uh, off guard, and it was, again, a beautiful, beautiful goal, and then had another very pretty left-footed finesse goal uh, for Loudoun United as well. And he's another guy that could feature for DC United a little bit maybe next year. I don't think it'll be this year as they get into the playoffs. We'll have to see. With I know Joe and I talked about it a little last week with Wayne Rooney moving on after this season. Maybe there's a spot for Wild, especially if he continues his performance. So, um, it'll be it'll be nice to see if he can finally kind of get that chance at the top the top level. So and then obviously Zach Steffen still with Fortuna Dusseldorf in the Bundesliga, um, Sebastian Elney with New York Red Bulls too, and just a few other guys around the league uh, getting some minutes, but not a ton we're going to talk about here today. So. Um, I think that will do it. I think we've packed a lot into our time here, including recapping two games, previewing one, and then going through all those pro terps and only previewing one game this week. I wanted to kind of do a more uh, extensive uh, coverage of, of some of the guys at the next level. So, Ben, thank you so much for your time. Loved having you on. And, yes, I know you're kind of third in the pecking order maybe, but um, I, I really appreciate you you taking the time to, to help out with this. That was a lot of fun. So that will do it for the fifth episode of the Ludwig Lowdown. This has been our Maryland Men's Soccer Podcast on WMEC Sports Radio, your Terps, your station. Thanks for listening to the Ludwig Lowdown. We hope to have you right back here for the next edition with your hosts, Brendan Hartlove and Tom Hindle. Thanks, everybody, and go Terps!